guys, right? All right, yeah. So welcome back. Oh, there it is. There it is. Welcome back to RUF. Um, I ha- if I haven't met you, I'm Jonathan. I'm the campus minister here. This is, if this is your first time, this is our weekly large group. Um, and so this semester, uh, if, you're, if you've been with us, if you're new, we're working through the book of 1 John, the biblical book of 1 John. Um, and why? It's because it's a book all about love. And so we're focusing on this semester, the topic of love. What is love? How do we know it? And I think it's because, and I've said this every week, I'll say it again every week, we live in a world, we live in families, we have friendships that need love. We want love in our families. We want love in our society. We want love in our relationships with our boyfriends or girlfriends. I think we can all agree. We want love in our world. And we also live in a society that's really short on love. We live in a society where there's just not a lot of love going around. And so the question then is, how do we love? What is love? How do we love? What is love? Well, that's what 1 John is all about. That's why we're working through this book. That's why we're working through it very slowly is because it has a lot to say to us. 1 John is an extended look at what love is, what love is and how you and I become more loving, more caring, more attentive people. And here at RUF, we're convinced that Christianity offers the best solution to that need that we feel in society, that need that we feel in our own lives for love, because we say that love starts with the God of the Bible. Love starts with the Christian God. God is the source of love, and from that, we begin to see what love is, and we are then empowered and enabled to go out and love one another. And so, Our first week, we saw that God loves us by becoming a human being. God loves us by becoming one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. Last week, we saw that God loves us by dealing with our sin. Dealing with our sin. And this week, we're going to continue on that theme of dealing with our sin because it's really important. And some of you might think, Jonathan, this is really, really high up here. This is not practical. I need help on how I love when I'm out on Imo, when I'm out on Jordan. Help me with that. That's what I need help with. Where's the application on this? And I would say, you're right. That's fair. I would say that's because we're still building our foundation. We're still building our foundation. Remember, if what this is saying is true, if God is love and love starts with God, then if we're going to love well, we have to make sure that we're starting off on the right footing. If I were to just send you all out and say, go love people, go love people, then I'm pretty sure that we would all just kind of limp back here with our tails behind our legs saying, well, what is love? How do I get the power to love really unloving people, really unlovely people? How do I know when it's really hard what to do and when when the going gets tough? So if, if we're going to love well, we have to start on that right foundation. We have to start with first with God, with His love, and then tease that out. And that's what we're going to be doing throughout the rest of this semester. So last week I said, if we're going to love well, we have to deal with sin. Why? Because sin is the ultimate act of unlove. You could define sin as any action or thought or motivation that is unloving towards God or towards fellow man or towards the world. So if we all agree that we need more love in this world, and if we all agree that if we're going to get there, we have to deal with the thing that prevents or ruins love, right? We have to, if we're going to, if we're going to make this happen, we've got to deal with the thing that prevents it. And to do that, we have to deal with sin. So we have to deal with sin aggressively. Some of you might be thinking, I just don't know if I agree with you, Jonathan. 
I don't know if I actually think sin exists. I don't know if sin is actually the basis for unloving acts. Well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to prove it to you all the way tonight, but let me add a little bit more to that. So last week we said that part of sin is saying one thing and doing another. Saying one thing and doing another. Being a hypocrite. Um, but sin is actually deeper than that. Now, I think we would all agree that love is actually preferring one person's rights, one person's good over your own. Love is, love is making a choice to say, I want that person to be happy, to be better off, even if it's going to cost me something. Well, sin would be the opposite of that. Sin would be a choice or an action or a thought that says, no, I prefer what I want. I prefer my own self. I prefer what this gets me more than what I can give the other person. Sin is preference of self over relationship. And it's so much to the extent that it actually breaks relationships. That sin actually begins to break relationships. And so here's the rub. We all do this. In our thoughts, in our actions, we constantly are rejecting someone else's good for our own, for our own selfish wants. And we do this so consistently that a lot of time it ruins relationships. You can all think of a time where someone's, a relationship with someone you know or a relationship with someone you love was broken because they were selfish towards you or you were selfish against them. It can be the little things like cutting in line at Taos or lying to a friend or cheating on a test or snapping at your friend when you're tired. It can be those little, or it can be really big things like cheating on your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or corporate greed or neglecting the poor all the way up to like, Big things like murder and abuse. And in all of these things, they're failures to love. And we've all done this. And John would say, uh, he says in this book, he says, if you, if you say you haven't done that, then you're lying to yourself. Then you're lying to yourself. And John would also say that the main place that we do this is with God. We would rather be by ourselves. We would rather have our own selfish ends than be in relationship with the God of the Bible. So sin starts ultimately with rejecting God. The ultimate sin, the ultimate rejection of relationship, the ultimate act of unlove comes from that, and from that spreads out all the other areas of unlove and sin. So again, if we're going to deal with this realm, if we're going to try and get to a place in our society, in our friendships, where we actually have love, we've got to start here. We've got to start here. So that's what John is talking about today in our text today. John is talking about how do we solve this sin problem And today, John gives us three solutions to that, three solutions to solving the sin problem. He gives us the hope of sin solved, the how of sin solved, and the holiness of sin solved. The hope of sin solved, the how of sin solved, and the holiness of sin solved. So with that, I'm going to dive into our text. We'll read our text, and we'll we'll look at how he does this. So I'm reading here 1 John 2, verse 1. This is God's word. It says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the the truth is not in him. But whoever, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 
Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how it speaks so directly into our words today. Spirit, may my words illuminate into this world, into this crowd tonight. Um, And may we be better off for it, more loving towards you and towards those around us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So first, first what we see here is we see the hope of sin solved. Look at me with, at verse 1. What does verse 1 say? It says, My little children, I am, writing to you the, I am writing these things so that you may not sin. So again, John is giving us another purpose for why he's writing. He gave us another one earlier. If you remember back in chapter 1, verse 4, he says, I am writing these things so that our joy may be complete. But now he's giving a second reason. Why am I writing this to you? Well, what is it? He says, so that you may not sin. The reason or the end result or his goal, his hope for why he's writing to this, this letter is that so that they won't sin, so that we won't sin. What do we see from this? First, we know that when someone tells you why they're writing something, why they're doing something, it gives us a little insight into what they value, what's most important to them. It's like a thesis statement if you're a paper or your hypothesis if you're doing an experiment. This is, what's, this is what I'm trying to get at. This is what's most important to me. So we see here that a major reason that John is writing is because he, want, he has to deal with this problem of sin. Sin is a big deal for him. It's not a low priority. But the second thing is he says, there's this, there's this nuance where he says, I hope that by your reading this, you won't sin. I hope that you will get to a point that you will actually not sin, or put it negatively, his, John's hope is that we, won't not fa- that, we won't, that we will not fail to love, that we will not prefer our own desires over others, that we will not compromise relationships for our own ends. What he's saying here is, he says, I hope you love well. I hope you love rightly God, that you love rightly one another, and that you love rightly your community in such a way that brings flourishing that brings peace to your community. The implication here is that he, that, and what he is writing is the key and the solution to this. He's saying, here's my hope, here's my goal, that you would not sin. And he says, if we pay attention, if we settle into this, if we marinate in what he's saying here, then we all might just get a little bit closer to what we all want, which is a more accepting, loving society. So that's what he's saying first off. He's saying, I hope that sin would be solved by your paying attention. So let's pay attention. Let's listen in on what he's saying. His first solution, the hope of sin solved. Next, he says, the how of sin solved. The how of sin solved. If this is such a big deal, how are we going to deal with it? If we all experience it, how do we begin to solve it? It starts with solving sin with God, like we've said before. Solving sin with God. Look with me at verses at the end of verse 1 and at the beginning of verse 2. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not only, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. The first thing I want you to notice here is that, in a way, in a way John actually assumes sin. He says, my goal, my aspiration, my hope for you is that you will not sin, but I know that you will. He desires perfect love, but he does not require perfect love. And I want us to see how gentle that is, how gentle John is with us in this. There's there's a tension here. John does not say, 
Love perfectly, be perfect, and if you don't, then you're done for. He does not say that. But he also does not say, it doesn't matter if you don't love well. It doesn't matter what you do. It's cool. Just go do your thing. He's in between those. He says our goal, our hope is for Christians to not sin. But if it happens, there's a solution. And I feel like that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, a, a spot that we in our culture desperately need today. In a university, there's this tension. There's, there's either one way or the other. There's either this drive to be perfect. Be perfect. Be the perfect student. Be the perfect friend. Look good. Have the right look. You all know it better than I do. There's this pressure to be perfect. And if you're not, then you're nothing. Or there's this other side of a university that says, it doesn't matter. Do whatever you want. It's okay. It's just you. You do you. It's, all, it's fine. What John is saying here is he's saying, I want you to come as you are, but I'm not going to leave you there. And that's something that we say in RUF all the time. We say, come as you are to RUF. Know that the gospel accepts you for who you are, but it doesn't leave you there. It changes us. It changes us into more loving, gracious people. So if that's what it is, what is his solution? Well, his solution is twofold. He says, Jesus is our advocate and Jesus is our propitiation. Well, first, Jesus is our advocate. What does he mean by that? Well, it's a fairly specific word that, that he uses here, and it means a go-between between two parties in a broken relationship. So are there any Harry Potter fans out there? Anyone? Yeah, a couple Harry Potter fans. So, so my favorite book is Order of the Phoenix. Remember you remember when Harry Potter is attacked by the Dementors at the beginning of the book? And um, he casts a patro- he's with his cousin. He casts a Patronus spell and, and, and to defend them. And if you remember, he actually gets kicked out of school for that because he used magic while he was underage and he was, and is outside of school. So he gets kicked out of Hogwarts for, for doing this. And just as he's about, he's like in the depths of despair, he says, I, I'm out of school. I guess I'm out of Hogwarts. Suddenly, you remember correctly, Dumbledore shows up and defends him and says, no, you can't kick him out. You can't kick him out. Dumbledore defends him and allow, and so that he's allowed to come back into, into Hogwarts. In that moment, Dumbledore is Harry's advocate. He's his defender. Dumbledore has the authority and the power to come before, who was it? The, the school, yeah, the Phineas Fudge, and says, you can't punish, you real nerd over here. <laughs> he says, you can't punish Harry this way. Well, that's what happens here in our relationship with God. Only, only it's actually worse because our sin is actually wrong. Our sin is actually... Harry acted in self-defense. We act in selfishness. So we actually deserve the penalty. Our sin is an affront to God and we actually deserve the punishment. And yet Jesus Christ, who is the righteous one, he's the one who is at, without sin. He is our advocate and he comes in and says... No, you can't punish this person. You can't punish this child because I was righteous on their behalf. And they are now righteous. That's how Jesus is our advocate. He's, other parts of Scripture, Hebrews and Romans, tell us that Jesus is interceding on our behalf. He is our go-between. Do you see what this means for your life? It means that when you sin, you don't have to beg God to re-forgive you. You don't have to re-accept Jesus into your life again. You don't have to earn back God's love. You can rest. You can rest and be relieved that Jesus already intercedes. I mean, right now, Jesus intercedes for us on behalf. 
That should bring great rest to us. But not only is Jesus our advocate, he is also, what does he say? He's also the propitiation for our sins. The propitiation. That is a complex word, and I'm going to try and break it down. So to look at the, to how do we understand this idea, we have to look again at what is sin. Sin is a hopeless fracturing of our relationship with God, and God is justly and understandably angry about that. So let's say, for an example, you live in a dorm, and someone stole a thousand bucks from you. I don't know why you've got a thousand bucks lying around, but you've got a thousand bucks, and somebody steals it from you. You would be angry. You would be very, very, very angry that they stole a thousand bucks from you. And you would be right to be angry. You would want to punish them for it. You would want to make them pay you back for what they stole. But then let's say another friend comes along and says, "Um, actually, no, I'm going to pay you back from my money so they don't have to pay you back. So that your friend loses the money, but you get the money back. Well, sin is something like that. Sin is, is something that makes God infinitely more angry and infinitely more righteously, justly. He, he can punish us over it because he's infinitely holy. And so when we sin against him, when we reject relationship with him, when we are unloving towards him, God has every right to punish us, even with death. Sin is an infinite debt stolen from God that we can never repay. And the gospel says that Jesus Christ is our propitiation in that Jesus says, I will take on the guilt and I will take their punishment, even if it means death. And I want my righteousness, I want, I want my righteousness and my perfection to go to them. Jesus is the sacrifice who didn't deserve the penalty, but took it willingly so that we could be free. Guys, do you see how loving that is? God does not leave us in our sin. God could, in, could easily just boom, punish us. But God actually comes through and gives his own solution. God, he sends his own solution in Jesus Christ. One commentary I wrote said, Propitiation is the appeasement of the wrath of God by the love of God through the gift of God. I'll read that again. Propitiation is the appeasement of the wrath of God by the love of God through the gift of God in Jesus Christ. So in Jesus, God's perfect justice and God's perfect love meet so well that sin is solved. And it is solved because Jesus Christ bears the penalty for our sin and gives his righteousness to us. We get his cleanliness, he gets our stain. We get his holiness, he got our sin. You see how loving that is. God could have cut off relationships completely and prosecuted us, and it would have been right for him to do so. Just like it would be right for you to prosecute someone who steals a thousand bucks from you. But he didn't. He didn't. God moved close to us. He killed Jesus Christ in our place so that we could sinless. That is grace. It's a gift that you and I don't deserve. It's a gift of life and forgiveness that you and I simply don't deserve. So we see here, we see the hope of sin solved in that John desires us to live lives that are free of sin. We see how the how of sin solved, that Jesus Christ is our advocate and our propitiation. And next we see the holiness of sin solved, the holiness of sin solved. Look look with me at verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him, 
that if we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. The love of God is perfected. Notice that what John says twice there. He says twice, by this we know. This is a major theme in the book of 1 John. It's actually, John uses that phrase, by this we know, 15 times throughout the book. John is writing so that his audience, and by extension we, can have certainty about our assurance. By this we know the gospel is true. It's a major theme. It's so much so that it's the theme of what we're talking through. By this we know love. And so I'm sure John's audience was asking questions about how do we know this is true? How can I know that God is real? Well, John would say it's because Jesus came in the flesh as God. Some of them were probably asking, how can I know that my sin is solved? And and John would say, Jesus was our substitute in our place. Some of them would ask, how can I know if I'm saved? How can I know if I'm a Christian? And John says, by this we know that we know him. Meaning, by this you and I can have certainty that we know God. And what is that proof? How do we know? If we keep his commandments... That's the holiness, the holiness of sin solved. Holiness is moral uprightness according to God's will. Moral uprightness according to God's will. So um, how do I illustrate? I I went to college in New York City, and um, for a while I was definitely not a New Yorker. I grew up in Colorado, rural Colorado, nothing like New York City. And traveling around in Manhattan can be a real pain, um, especially if you're not from the area. It's a confusing subway system, and it's, a confuse, it's confusing streets, and I would get lost a lot. And there's two ways you can tell if someone's not from New York or if they're a non-New Yorker. There's two ways. One, they're smiling, and two, they're lost. <laughs> and so I got lost all the time, all the time my first couple of years there. And then, I, and then one day, I hopped on the train system on the subway system, and without thinking, I got to my destination taking three different trains and transferring and ended up, bam, just where I wanted to be without even thinking about it. I knew where I needed to be, and then it was at that moment I knew I was a New Yorker. I knew I was a New Yorker. That's what John is getting at here when he says, by this we know if we keep his commands. It's those moments when you find yourself stumbling into obeying Jesus that you know this is actually true of me. This is actually true. I'm actually, I can know. I know that I'm a Christian. Jesus says something very similar when he says in John 14, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. Not might be, but will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. So what John and Jesus mean here is that obedience to God's commandments, that is holiness, Or in verse 5, keeping his word are proof that we are loved by God. And that means that that when this is happening, when there's this spot, when there's this obedience happening in our lives, we know that God's love towards us is perfected. That's what he's saying. He says, whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God, God's great love towards us is perfected. It's finished. It's complete. It's done. Some of you in here may wonder, am I a Christian? You look around, you, you, you see sin in your life, and you're like, I don't know. But hear me say this. When you start to see your heart warming towards the gospel, when you start to see obedience towards what God would have, when you start to see love for God and for neighbor in your life, you can know, you can know for absolute certain that God's love in you is complete. 
It is finished. It's perfected. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the Jewish believer, the Jewish people of God were obsessed with being holy. And they worked very, very hard at it. But now, John says, the love of God in Jesus Christ and our obedience in response to that love makes us holy. It makes us completely loved by God. That is the holiness of sin solved. When we see God's love towards us in Jesus Christ, when we see what God has done towards us, moving towards us, and we begin to move, respond in love towards God and towards neighbor. You see what John is doing here? He says that when we begin to understand the amazing love that God gives us in Jesus, we are transformed. We're transformed into the kind of people who begin to love one another well. See what John is doing here? He's saying when the foundation is right, you can start transitioning into how do we actually work this out. That's why we have to start at the beginning. We have to start with dealing with sin. We have to start with dealing with love with God. And then we begin to tease it out into what does that look like in our society. When we begin to start, when we start in the right place, we radiate out that love that we also desperately want. So I leave you with two quick points of application. I say, I say first, application. If you see growth in your Christian faith, that is actual obedience, know that you're a Christian. Don't doubt it. Know that you are a Christian. Don't wonder, am I saved? What do I need to do? What's that next thing I got to do? No, the gospel is that Jesus has done everything, everything that you need to be saved. Remind yourself of that every single day that you are completely loved. The love of God is perfected when you start to see yourself warming towards God. Second thing of application, look with me at verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Ought to walk in the same way which he walked. What John is saying here is that when we start to see what God has done, it should spur us on to greater obedience, greater holiness. We ought to walk as Jesus Christ walked. Jesus, we all know, everyone here admits, everyone admits Jesus was the perfect example of love, of perfect self-giving, preferring others to ourselves. So our reason to imitate Jesus is not that we can earn God's love, but it's in response to his tremendous love towards us. If God would lavish love on us to solve our sin, how can we not follow him? How can we not begin to see how we love one another, to see how we love our campus in New Mexico State, to see how we love our family, our boyfriend or girlfriend? How can we not walk as he did? So to the conclusion for conclusion, what do we see in this passage? We see that God is here to solve sin because he wants love. He wants love in our world, and he has to start with solving sin. How does he solve sin? He gives the hope of solved sin. He gives us the how of solved sin and the holiness of, God, of solved sin. So let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this text. Thank you for how it shows us that you love us, that you move towards us, that you are our advocate, you are our propitiation. You took the pain and the shame of sin on yourself and that you solved it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Father, Spirit, Son, massage that into our hearts so that we understand it more and more, so that we actually go out and not to earn your love, but to sh out of response to your love, show that to our world, to our neighbors, to our friends. Help us, Lord, as we continue to explore what that looks like. Go with us tonight, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.